Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? Registration for the Fall 2020 ADHD Essentials online parent coaching groups is open. In these highly effective groups, you will work with me and your fellow group members via online video chat to talk about all of the parenting challenges brought about by COVID-19 and ADHD and learn effective ways to manage them. The groups will run for eight weeks, each with its own theme, which build upon each other as we go. Week one is parenting as leadership. Week two, creating systems and structures. Week three is about fostering connection within our family as well as outside of it. During week four, we look at improving our communication. Week five is about managing anxiety Week six, understanding my wall of awful model and how to use it to support your family. Week six is about practicing self-care because we should all be doing that. And during week eight, we'll focus on asking better questions to get better answers. Given that the effects of COVID aren't going away anytime soon, we'll also address how to do all of this while self-quarantining, navigating an uncertain school year, as well as managing our own and our children's mental health and well-being. These groups are COVID-tested. I've already run two sessions during this crisis. And perhaps the most powerful part of the groups are the connections you'll make with other parents facing similar struggles. It always helps to know we're not alone. Again, the groups will run for eight weeks on Mondays and Wednesdays, with one session at noon and another at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. They begin on Monday, September 21st, and end on Wednesday, November 11th. Go to ADHDessentials.com slash parentgroups, or email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com to register for a free information call. It only takes about 20 minutes. Check the show notes for that link. And of course, also check out our partner podcasts, ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers and Hacking Your ADHD with Will Curb. And don't forget to join the three of us for a live Q&A on Tuesday, September 8th. That's this Tuesday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Go to ADHDrewired.com slash events to register. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Caroline McGuire. Caroline is the author of the book, Why Will No One Play With Me? And an expert on ADHD, executive function, and social skills. In today's episode, Caroline and I talk about the social challenges of COVID-19. We discuss the need for small social interactions, the importance of clear communication when planning to socialize with others, ways to strengthen social skills weakened by the isolation of COVID-19, and why we need to collaborate more with our kids. All right, let's get rolling. I'm Caroline McGuire. I am an ADHD and executive function and social skills coach. I'm the author of Why Will No One Play With Me, came out last year about social skills, and I am also a mom who is 
living through all this with all of you. And how old are your kids, Carolyn? So I have a six-year-old boy and a daughter who just turned 12 Friday. He's entering kindergarten and she is entering seventh grade. So very different stages, very different situations, very different kids. Like most parents, um, I have a bunch of things going on with, you know, our world right now in COVID. It's tricky. And, and some schools have already started. Some are in the process of figuring out how to start and what that's going to look like. And it seems like we have three sort of four models happening. The three models that kind of live together are kids are just going to school, right? They just physically go into the building. Then there's kids are staying home and virtually learning from their teachers over the internet, like what happened at the end of last year. And then there's this hybrid model that some schools are trying where kids go to school maybe two days a week, or they go to school for one week on, one week off. I've seen a few different ways that that's being approached. So that's kind of one category. That's like the public school stuff. And then there's this other section of people who are homeschooling and people who are saying, I can figure this out for a year. I'm going to opt my kids out, homeschool them either in pods or the parent is doing it or however that works, whatever level of privilege they have to be able to pull that off. That's another group. And all of these kids are if not already struggling with social skills and social connection and social exposure, they're going to be soon because we're heading in that direction, depending on what people are doing. Um, and that's why I wanted to have you on because that's your jam. What are you seeing? I think we're in a full blown social crisis and we're in a mental health crisis as well. And they're intertwined. And I think there's a few things. One, you know, there's always a segment of the population who are, are my people who struggle with social skills um, and who either um, struggle to make connections or they alienate people. Those kids are joined right now by millions of other kids who maybe didn't have any anxiety, any problems before the past year. But now because of us being shut down, opened up, the threat of being shut down, you know, virtual learning, and social distancing, they are also struggling with social connection, with anxiety, with depression. And so we have this full-blown social crisis, in my opinion, where many, many parents are now trying to figure out, how do I help my child? And by the way, our kids are not always as open to talking about this or as open to coaching as we would like. Just for me as a parent, and I'm coming at this with some knowledge and with some skills, I'm having trouble. Like I'm struggling. And we do movies in our backyard once, maybe twice a week. And even those have not gone as long as I would like, because sometimes like there's too many bugs or it rains or we had a family over and the kids were just tapping out, which is all okay. That's fine. At least we get to see you for a half an hour or an hour. But we're trying to maintain social connections through movies in the backyard, but it's one family at a time. And so like it's once every two months people come over because we're kind of cycling through stuff and some there's weekends when we don't have anyone come over. So that's a challenge. And the other thing that I'm doing that is like an active regular thing to keep my kids socially engaged is 
I run a weekly Dungeons and Dragons game for my two boys and four of their friends where I kind of get to facilitate some of the social stuff. There's two kids in the group that are just really excited to be there and we'll talk over everybody, or at least they would early on there as I've sort of guided them to help other kids stay engaged, including my own kids. Cause my own kids will just sit back and not say anything. So I have to pull my kids out to say stuff and help these kids say a little bit less, but they're learning, right? Like they're starting to say things like, well, what does Gavin think? And I don't have to say anything. I can just sit back and be like, do to do. But those are really the two main direct friend connection stuff that I've been doing. But another thing that I've started doing recently is a social skill, I think, that, in a, or a, a, maybe a trauma fight. I might be fighting trauma on this. Is uh, I've started having them just come to the supermarket with me because I felt that anxiety coming before it got too big. And so now if, I'm, if we drive to like go walk in the woods somewhere, and we need milk. I'm like, all right, guys, let's go. We're going to stop and get milk so that they get exposed to public spaces. Like we'll go get ice cream and stand in line and that kind of stuff. So that, I don't know if that's exactly social stuff or not, but that's another area that I'm, that I'm working on. Am I heading in some reasonable directions here? Yeah. I mean, taking the, the milk first, you know, I love that because depending where you are with COVID, depending where you are in the world, if you can go around in a mask, right? Part of what's happening for people that's causing this crisis is that they are not having the normal social connections, even the little ones, right? You go into Starbucks, you get your coffee, you say hello to the person. Those social connections feed us. We're social animals, right? So there's those and then there's, you know, backyard and playing with people. You know, if you feel comfortable, if it's safe, if you're not immunocompromised, all those caveats apply, right? I'm not giving medical advice, but I think it's really important for kids to A, learn how to operate in masks and also have that normalization of connections. Many doctors have weighed in that part of what's causing a lot of anxiety for people is that that normality has been taken away. Those connections have been taken away. And we're not interfacing with people. Well, what does interfacing with people do? Not only does it fill your social bucket, but it also gives you this sense of perspective. So when you're siloed in your house, and this is why I think a lot of adults are not okay right now, and you just have your voice in your head and your perspective, it's much easier to work yourself up. It's much easier to lose perspective. It's much easier to feel alienated from the culture. We, um, we go to this marina, we have a boat. And one of the things I was noticing this weekend was it was hot. I was schlepping back and forth with things. I was in a mask. It was irritating at times. But just having those little interactions with people made me remember how great people are, how fun people are, what people are really like that they're not all just the way they are portrayed in social media. And so I think what happens for kids too is we've built up this anxiety, right? They, they have genuine fear now and they're not able to have any sense of how they'll find a new normal. And so I think that what you're doing is you're giving your boys some exposure to, you can be with people in a mask. And then on the backyard thing, I love that because I think if you can, you know, if, if where you are in COVID, it's okay. 
I think it's really, really important for kids to have as much social interaction like that as we can from now until it gets cold in the Northeast. Maybe you're in a part of the country where it doesn't get cold and you're listening, and if so, keep going. But I do want to talk about why that's going to be hard for some people, Brendan. Before you do, I want to, I want to point out that we're following rules and social distancing in the course of having movies in the backyard. At first, I literally painted six-foot squares on my, on my lawn. I loved it. Yeah, to be like, this is how far six feet is. Like, let's social distance correctly. And also, um, it's one family at a time, like I said, so that we're not extra mixing or anything like that with risk. We'll order a pizza, but like my family gets a pizza, the other family gets a pizza. I just right. order two pizzas for whoever's, whoever's there so that we don't have to worry about that kind of stuff too. And also, it's important to be mindful of the other people's comfort level. Behave at the level of the people who are least comfortable. Even if you are more comfortable, that doesn't mean that you can be like, oh, I'm just going to sit in your lap because I don't mind. Like we want to have a, a consent-driven approach to this. And that is a hard part. So there's a couple pieces that are hard to to the social distance play date or the social distance backyard thing because I'm doing it too. And it's a lot more work, right? So I had a birthday party for my daughter. Each kid got an individual cake, which I made from scratch because of allergies. They each had their own little frosting tube and they each had their own little carton so that no one shared food. And we ordered individual food and like it was it was a whole mishigash to comply with social distancing and to, to make sure no one gets COVID. The other piece that's hard is that you have to look toward what are your standards? And um, I actually love that you created the six foot apart things in the backyard. And I would say to families, if you're worried your kid can't do this, the more you create that visual cue, the more your kid will do this. There is extensive research that shows that younger kids will comply in masks because it's a rule and they like to comply with rules. But there's also evidence about everything in life that the more we give visual reminders, the more people comply. So if you're going to do this, maybe you laminate something so that you can throw it down six feet apart and you don't have to retape or re, you know, spray paint every time. But the other thing is when we're doing these things, we have to sometimes interview the other family or talk to the other family ahead of time and say, this is how we operate. Because I know one of the things that parents are saying to me is that they're, they're really struggling with other families who don't have the same standards. And now I have to, as the, as the parent, be the meanie. Except we really need to set a certain example for kids. So to have those conversations ahead of time, which you are, it really does help our kids, right? Because part of what's causing stress and anxiety for them and causing them to just want to stay cloistered in the house is that all of this is daunting for adults. Now think about how daunting it is for kids. We've changed how we socially interact in six months. And even not just with friends, but family too, right? Like I ended up offending my nephew without meaning to, it wasn't my intention because my nephew goes back and forth from Boston to a, the town he lives in because he's in grad school and he has a girlfriend. And so I'm like, you are so many vectors. And I don't mean that 
insultingly, it's just science. It's just you're being exposed to more people than I I know I am. I'm not exposed to nearly as many because I'm not going back and forth between two different towns and sleeping in both of those towns, sometimes at home and sometimes in my apartment. And I also don't have a girlfriend who doesn't live with me. Like my wife is married to me. She's having the same exposures that I'm having. And so I think that like an, an element that I learned in the course of that, because we ended up spending some time with my family. We spent a day with them. And over text message, I was just like, well, like my nephew's got a bunch of vectors. And there's this moral judgment sort of dirty thing that comes with viruses and diseases that we've put in as a culture. And I have lost that. Like, I don't have that anymore. I don't think of it as a moral thing. I think of it as science and this is how germ theory works. Right. Uh, and that's why I offended them. And so that was a, like a social lesson for me. I learned, all right, I got to be more careful with how I present this information. That's an element in these conversations too, I would imagine. Yeah. And I think it's also mindfulness, right? So one of the things that's so hard for kids is that they have their usual social dynamic, which for some kids is a lot. And then now we've layered on top of it, remember not to get too close. Remember to put on your mask. Remember to put it back on. Remember that it got wet when you were playing there. So now you need a new one. And one of the things that we can do as parents is to use more of a coach approach with our kids and to ask them questions rather than tell them and to be checking in with them and to be having conversations about this. And so I had this realization the other day that, you know, the first part of why I will know and play with me that teaches you how to talk to your kid about tough stuff should be a go-to for parents right now. Because if you are a parent during this COVID crisis, you are having to have conversations about stuff and many kids don't engage in those conversations so you're constantly trying to understand, did they receive the information? Can we problem solve together? Are you on board? And so that coach approach that you and I both use, where we ask questions and we reflect, we encapsulate what someone is saying back to them can be invaluable so that they are talking more, which helps us with our emotional regulation about the feelings they must be having about all this stuff that we're having to navigate, including knowing people who are not necessarily following the science or people who we know who are having to expose themselves like nurses and doctors, which could be troubling for kids. I know my little one was very worried about my cousin who's a nurse at Children's Hospital. He was very worried about like, why does she still go? And I had to explain to him, she has to go. That's disturbing, right? When you think of what they've learned. And even my, I have two sisters, both of them work in schools and so does my brother-in-law. So like my entire generation for my family, uh, at least on my, on my side of it, we're all educators and I am now like an entrepreneur doing this stuff. I'm not going into schools, but literally everybody at my level is going into a school in the coming months. And that's, anxiety inducing and my kids are aware of that and I don't know that they've thought it all the way through but I'm sure at some point they will um, we have friends who like mom works at, at Walmart and is doing that as a, she's like a manager person but is at Walmart every day and so yeah we've got to be mindful of the adults in our kids lives who are being exposed due to their professions and and helping our kids manage that and understand what's going on and 
what's the level of the risk? Because that's a thing too, right? Like, well, how come my sister, aunt, mom, whoever can go work at Marshall's or go be a teacher at a school, but it's not okay for me to hang out with my friends in the backyard? Or you're really concerned about me going to school. How come you're not worried about my aunt going to school? Those sorts of things too. That it, This is a really complicated nut. Yeah. And that's why, so going back to the backyard, right? So a lot of parents are saying to me, I give good advice. <laughs> I gave good advice or I offered this opportunity and my kid didn't take me up on it or they got to the backyard, hang out, and they didn't really engage with other people. And parents are feeling very anxious themselves. And so they're getting sort of angry. And what I want to say is think about the epic ask, right? You're, you're asking kids to deal with all this COVID social distancing stuff. Now, all the regular social stuff, which may not be easy for them. And now also the fact that we have been away from people and we're rusty and we're kind of isolated and that does things to your social skills. I would suggest to parents that they're having a lot more conversations. So, you know, here's, a, here's something that, that I would say. Instead of saying like, you didn't engage with anyone, I bothered to have this thing, I painted six foot apart things in the backyard, I worked so hard, why didn't you talk to anyone? Which is what we do as parents, we freak out, and we do stuff like that, is to sort of say, I wonder how that was for you, right? Mm -hmm. What's this like? What did you feel? You know, I noticed you didn't talk as much. What's going on? Because I think you'll get farther, right? And they might say, I was so overwhelmed. All I could do was sit in a chair. Now, the next time we bait that skill and we try to give them the opportunity and the tools to be less overwhelmed and to practice and then to feel more comfortable so that they can be more themselves. But I think to just go into what we as parents all do, I'm totally guilty of it too, which is to get annoyed. Mm -hmm. It's not going to serve us because we're talking about something that is very hard for kids, whether it's the backyard or virtual, there's so much involved. My guys went over to my other sister's house. I have two of them. <laughs> um, they went over to my other sister's house, Lauren, who's been on the podcast before. They went to her house, Auntie Lala, they call her, and didn't really interact with her. So she, she's part of our bubble, at least for now until school starts, because sometimes the boys need to go somewhere else. Sometimes my wife and I need a minute. It was our anniversary. <laughs> So they went over to our house for a couple of nights, didn't interact with her. Like they just kind of sat there on their iPads and didn't really talk to her and didn't really respond when she spoke to them. So that's the nut I'm cracking now because that we've got this information yesterday. They'll be writing apology letters to her today because that's a thing that should happen, but also to help her understand what was going on. Because when we talked to them, a big piece of it was they didn't know what they could do. In times past, they'd go to Auntie Lala's house and she has these plans. She's like, we're going to go here. We're going to go to Orange Leaf and get frozen yogurt. We're going to go do this thing. We're going to save a kitten. We're going to do all this stuff because she's a big animal person. And those things are not available to her anymore like they used to be. She was thinking to bring them to a ropes course that's near her, but it was full and they couldn't do that. So now she's got to pivot. And like every adult on the face of the planet, it's hard to pivot. Like, you're just like, I don't know what now to do is what, huh? Like, that's where we get hit. 
I'm pretty good at pivoting and I'm getting hit with that a lot. So I can only imagine folks who aren't like super focused on pivoting and having backup plans. And so it was a really challenging for her. They were told me, they were like, no, it's fine. One thing we have to do when we talk to our kids is we have to dig a little deeper and we have to also that whole, I didn't know what I could do. I can see that happening, not just at an aunt's house, but we're all sitting in the backyard me and four of my friends and I sit in the chair the whole time and don't say anything because that I don't know what I can do can be even bigger, right? Like I don't know what's safe in COVID. I don't know what I'm allowed to do in COVID. Like I might not be worried about getting COVID, but I might think I'll get in trouble if I stand up even out of that chair. Cause what if I get too close to someone, at least if I'm in this chair, I'm not doing anything wrong because I'm staying in one spot. If I end up being too close to someone, it's on them because they moved not because I moved. I can even see that kind of a scenario happening. If we think about sort of social and how we are as social beings, my biggest advice to parents is A, to have these conversations, have more conversations. What could they do? Walk them through. What could you do? And then brainstorm coping mechanisms because a lot of kids are having anxiety. You know, I had kids in states where they've opened up and they're having sports who go to go to a sport and they completely melt down, even though they have wanted sports to come back forever. But it's so overwhelming. They feel like their skills are rusty. They feel they're physically rusty. It's all too much. And so a kid who has never had anxiety before is suddenly paralyzed. And if we think about being social, we think about it as you know, a series of things that we can do that we could simulate. So even if you're in full lockdown, if you have family dinners, if you, you know, interact with people, if you have politeness within the family and trying not to use tone with each other and trying not to, you know, never look up from your iPad and to use those social skills, it's going to be a lot easier for kids to re-enter because one of the things that's really hard about this is in many situations, it's, you know, that article that was out there, that's the, you know, the dance and the hammer. So there's going to be open up and shut down, open up and shut down. And so kids are going to have, you know, opportunities to be social and then less. So the more we can facilitate that, and this is some days you're not going to do it. Some days you're tired, but the more we can actually carry on conversations within our bubble, right? Actually have those social interactions as well as to prepare for when we are actually social distancing, but we're in person, the more kids are going to feel less burden. Because what you're talking about is burden, right? It's weighing on the kids and it's weighing on the adults. And the more we can talk you know, and say, I really want to pivot, but I am, I'm overwhelmed right now. And I'm not sure what to do. If you're Auntie Lauren, then the more the kids can actually engage with us around it. And also sort of that coach approach, right? Front loading and priming the kids and maybe the aunt, if that's what's happening with what they can talk about and what, what's going on. One of the things that I regret not forcing my kids to do, and I pretty much literally mean forcing is I made a whole journal thing at the beginning of the summer that was like recording something I did, something I learned, and something I made 
was the was what it was about and I, I like i got them to do it and it went for a little while but mostly verbally they didn't want to write it down and and it, it just didn't hook like i wanted it to hook and i didn't push as hard and i wish i had now because we'd have a record of all of the stuff and now that's look at all the stuff you can talk about you can read that back and be like here's stuff that we did so that journaling side of it like i think i might make my kids journal soon like that's i feel like that's coming down the pike like not today necessarily but i think it's coming should i warn them <laughs> give them a call yeah because like that now you'll know now you'll remember because we've done some cool stuff this summer and if you're seeing people you haven't seen in a while you, you can talk about when we went camping or when we walked down the river or the ropes course or something like that and now you've got a thing to talk about my kids talk a lot about fantasy stuff because they're not having as many real life experiences as they used to they're not seeing people that they can tell their aunt uncle cousin person about so it's they're talking about like people in the age of wonder beast and avatar and plants versus zombies and youtube people that they've experienced and watch videos of people have a harder time relating to that and knowing what to say about it because they don't have that content knowledge yeah, I love what you're saying about that because my son does the same thing. He talks about YouTube people, um, like these little shows that he watches, and he talks about them like they're real people. And we keep being like, you know that they're they're making a show, right? But I think that I've seen that with a lot of kids, right? Because they're not with people. So they're they're talking about and thinking about, you know, Minecraft, fantasy worlds, books they're reading, anything. But I think going back to how we can help them if we sort of have a conversation about you know what is it like for you that because you're not seeing as many people you're kind of living in this fantasy world and now you're bridging toward the real world and then also as parents we can help kids read people which is one of the most essential social skills we can talk about you know, what about Auntie Lauren? Is she a person who loves fantasy or not? Are there people who don't? Then we're building that learning to walk in someone else's shoes. We're building that perspective taking. It's us having those reflective conversations where we, we talk about, you know, stepping into someone else's shoes and we're reminding them without directly telling and shaming that like not everybody has this knowledge. And so I love the journal idea and maybe it's not a journal, maybe it's just a conversation about like, what have we done? And, you know, even just like, what would you talk about with this person? Like, what do these people care about? Who are they? Read them, right? Learn to think about them and their perspective and what they're into and to use questions what you know to ask that person when you see them what have you been up to what are you into and i think that's where we can help coach them and that's why i think these conversations are our best friend and the first half of why will no one play with me you know is all about how to have those conversations because it's not natural for all parents and it's also hard because some kids don't jump right in and so you need you need some scripts every time i do this stuff with them they're like oh it's dad again and then they have this idea that they know way more about this stuff than their peers do which may be true but they also don't want to hear it from me when i'm having trying to have these conversations with them so it's an interesting sort of balancing act that i have to do 
Yes, I'm very familiar with that because my daughter's the same way. She'll even tell me, don't coach other people. Like if I ask a kid, you know, a question, yeah. she's like, don't do that, mom. And I'll say, <laughs> you know, they actually were talking to me and they were fine. So we're good. <laughs> yeah. And the idea of like, what should you talk to that person about? What is the stuff that they're interested in? What do they like? That's critical. I need to get back to that because I'm not doing that as well as I once did. I get really good at that around the holidays or someone's birthday. Cause then I'm like thinking about it in terms of a present, like, what am I going to get this person? What do they like? What would be good to get for them? And that leads me down the road of thinking in that direction in general. So I need to make that more habitual just for like August when it's no one's birthday and it's not a holiday and I'm not buying presents, but I can still think that way. And I can help my kids do the same. One of the ways that we reflect on stuff in my family is I say to my kids, uh, all right, give me two good things. One thing you'd change if you could. And that's a way that we reflect on how the day went. It's pretty useful. But one of the things that we have to work on is their one thing they could change needs to be something they maybe could change. Like next time, a lot of the time it's like, it wouldn't rain. I'm like, yeah. or how about I would have brought a raincoat or an umbrella. Giving the kids more agency in the stuff they didn't like, I think is important too. And that's tricky. Adults don't feel like they have agency right now, let alone kids. Yeah. And I think that's a good conversation too. Like you as a parent, without parentifying them or saying things that are inappropriate, you can say, I'm feeling like it's hard to pivot. I'm feeling like this is hard right now. And then talking about and asking them, okay, well, people always say, you know, control, you can only control yourself. Like, what is it that we can do? One of the kids I'm working with, when we asked him that, he said, well, we could all have a better attitude. So it's like you, we can't forget that kids actually have something of value to contribute and they actually think about these things. And a big piece that you've touched on with the fantasy and your sons is motivation. For some kids, I, I, I had this kid, he said this to me, it was so beautiful. He said, all of the, the drudgery we basically do so that we can get to the part we like, which for some kids is soccer, you know, or something mm -hmm. like that. And so motivation is huge. Well, now in this environment we're in, a lot of kids aren't getting to do the things that motivate them. And there are kids who are motivated by social. And so we have to sort of have those conversations with kids as well. Like, what could we do that would motivate you? And also what, what aspect, okay, soccer may not be happening. What is it about soccer? And dig with them. Don't just start telling them, dig, right? Problem solve. What is it about soccer that you like? What does it do for you? You know, because then maybe we can figure out something that would give them some of that spiritual fulfillment, because that's a huge piece too. Some kids are not motivated by being socially virtually. And we as parents are doing this thing where we're like, you need to reach out to people, you need to text them, you need to, do and we need to stop and pause and like have the conversation instead of just giving them instructions. They might not care to do the thing that we're trying to encourage them to do, and it might not be the best choice. And if they do need to do it, maybe there's a way to reframe it. Like for my guys, we had the conversation yesterday, like we got to work on our social skills. We got to 
be more conversational. We have a weekly conversation with my wife's side of the family. We haven't been able to make it happen with my side of the family yet. So it's a little more sporadic with them. But on my wife's side, they have cousins that are kind of their age, year or two younger. And so we haven't been forcing my guys to Zoom with the cousins because it was, they just were having trouble with that interaction. And it, okay, that's fine. But now we're like, no, nah, you're going to talk to your cousins for half an hour in the course of this meeting because you need to practice social skills and this is a way to do it. And that's the reason. Like the reason is that it's a social skills builder and it's helping you stay connected to people. Not that you've got to enjoy the conversation with your cousins, if that makes sense. The more we figure out what's going on for them, because it's not going to always be the same thing each month, each week, each day. And the more we figure out what works for them and how they can have the social connection and what motivates them, anything we can do to give them that fulfilling social experience, but as a partnership, mm -hmm. as a collaboration, not as a, I read an article and I have a really good idea and I now want you to text people. Because remember, a lot of kids have very thin social networks. So when you ask them to text and reach out to someone virtually, if they already have some social skills struggles, it's an epic ask. It's not a small ask because they're not asking their best friend. They're asking someone they, you know, almost equivalent to a Facebook friend. So they're not necessarily feeling like they're going to get a good reception and i hear this from from so many kids and then they feel uncomfortable they're not sure what to do and there are people who are bridging in the virtual world and doing very well with it and actually reaching out more but sometimes kids aren't receptive and and parents are saying you know my kid won't even do this well wait let's go back to the conversation piece and have that collaborative conversation and see why because maybe they don't know those kids very well and it speaks to a larger issue and what you're asking of them feels daunting and i'm realizing that probably my fault i'll take the blame that we've sort of wandered away from school <laughs> and and school reopening i think all of this stuff applies and 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 there's certainly useful pieces of information in here, but let's be more direct and obvious about it in terms of schools reopening. What are we looking at? We've mentioned rusty skills. We've mentioned the anxiety of going into it. We talked about it in the context of soccer, but that applies to school as well. Where else might these concerns be? What else do we have to pay attention to? Friends and choices. You know, something that's come up a lot lately with the tweens and my own daughter is that we're in different stages in different stages of the country. And then different families are complying or not complying with social distancing rules. So, you know, one of the things I always say about my um, education was I went to these very sheltered schools. And one of the great things about it was I didn't have to make certain choices until I was of a certain age. And I could say, you know, definitely no. But I feel like right now, 11, 10, 12 year olds and above are having to face situations in social distancing where people are showing how they value or comply with social distancing rules. And so kids are trying to be social with their friends and then they're encountering these, these issues and it's daunting for them. 
And so what most kids I know do is then they just opt out. Mm -hmm. I'll give a personal example. We went to this pool thing and it was social distancing and it was only so many families and you had to stay six feet apart. But I slept there in the 95 degree heat because my daughter is a swimmer and I wanted her to be able to go and see her friends. Only it's all these different dynamics nowadays, like you don't get to sign up necessarily with your friends. So there were families there, but they weren't necessarily her bosom friends. So she was just like sitting on the bench with me. And I was kind of like, what's going on? I slept here. When we got in the car, she said to me, those weren't my friends. Those weren't kids I really like. And if you noticed, they weren't social distancing. They were doing a bunch of things that are dangerous. She started telling me all this stuff where as a mother, I was like, oh, good, good choice. I'm so glad you didn't do that. So that goes back to having the conversation with your kid. But also, we have to think about as we reopen, helping our kid understand and have a script for how to say, you know what, I'm going to hang back. I'm not going to join that. Or, you know, I'm going to stay. One of the things I've been having kids say is something like, you know, I'm staying pretty strict because I have a grandmother we see you know, giving them a script of something they can say in these situations because they feel really overwhelmed, uncool, you know, it's all this stuff. So as we are reopening, if people are going back to a school building, there's this dynamic. And I think the more we support kids, the more it'll be easier for them to actually enjoy themselves. There's also a level of this that's really about boundary setting and consideration and respecting of other people's boundaries. Kids who are paying attention to social distancing and whether other people are social distancing and being considerate and doing all that stuff are really being considerate and having healthy boundaries. The kids who aren't, the kids who are not respecting other people's boundaries or don't have boundary setting as a thing that even comes up for them are really easily able to obliterate that and cause a lot of anxiety for kids who are trying to socially boundary, socially distance. They're maybe going to come across like bullies, whether they mean to or not, because they're getting too close or they're not wearing their mask or they think this is all stupid or whatever. And it's really critical that the adults in school are helping the kids who are doing it right to navigate that and are helping the kids who aren't respecting the boundaries, aren't doing six feet, aren't wearing masks to wear those masks and sorry, buddy, you have to. It's really critical that, that teachers and administrators and even custodial staff take a leadership role in, in navigating that. And I can see that getting tricky when you get to parents because there's going to be parents out there who are like, no, this is stupid. We don't wear masks in my house and it doesn't matter because either because I don't believe that COVID is even a thing or because everyone dies, everyone gets sick. It doesn't matter. This isn't a thing that we as a family or me as an individual needs to respect. And I'm sort of sharing that with my kid and then sending them into school and throwing everything in the disarray potentially. That's an element in here as well of social challenges and, and landmines, I would think. It is. And then I go back to my perspective taking and walking in someone's shoes, right? When my daughter was little, um, if if something was going on and you couldn't tell who was, you know, who was the culprit, my daughter would say, don't assume, don't assume, don't assume. And what she meant by that was like, don't assume it's me. What I 
think is interesting is that kids are sometimes even better than adults about don't assume. So you don't know what's going on in someone's life, in someone's family, in someone's moment. And so I think the more we as parents say, let's step into their shoes, let's take their perspective, let's try to understand, then we'll give them sort of a little bit of uh, understanding of things. And then also, like I go back to the scripts. What can you say? What can you do? (laughs) My son dropped his mask on the floor of the bathroom the other day, which I had said to him, don't take it off. But of course he did because he's a kindergartner. And then he looked at me and he was like, oops. And then he basically said, you fix this, mommy. It just brought home to me what immunologists have been saying, which is we need to give kids, what what are you going to do when you drop your mask on the bathroom floor? How many masks are you going to go to school with? How are you going to navigate these things? And also that stuff's going to happen. When I was having a social distance play date the other day, one of the girls got wet. Well, I have like a billion, you know, of those disposable in the little package masks. So her mask got wet. So I was like, don't worry. I have bought up a million masks (laughs) so I could give her one in a little plastic thing. Yeah. I think like we have to sort of also as adults, you know, help them to understand like the world won't end either. Like it's a problem. Let's problem solve. Let's pause and be mindful and think. And that's part goes back to those self-regulation skills. A lot of our kids don't have. So again, parents can help with that. Even if they melt down, what could we do next time? And self-regulation skills that adults don't have right now too. Or let me withdraw and rephrase. Self-regulation skills that are overwhelmed right now, that are not up to the task of what we need to be regulating for right now. Because you were fine and then everything got way more complicated. And now there's an additional layer of concern about health, concern about the state of our country even and how do i manage that in addition to my job is stressful my kid is stressful my marriage is good or bad like all of that stuff i need to lose 30 pounds whatever whatever it is that's (laughs) stressing you out now we also have a global pandemic and a trauma event that is adding to that um and yeah there's so much to all of this and it's really really challenging but you're in the world that I've been thinking about lately about you got to have a plan. You've got to have a plan and have scripts for how to navigate stuff that you're not anticipating even, but especially the stuff that you can anticipate. We've got to have a plan for that. And kind of to normalize, like it's just a problem to be solved. So one of the greatest gifts we can give our child is social emotional problem solving. And most people don't have it. And I went to Target this weekend, and as we were walking through the aisles, my daughter turned to me, and we're in masks and everything, and she said, boy, mom, your next book should be about reading the room, because people do not have situational awareness. And I was like, okay, I've impacted her in some way. She has some awareness that people don't have situational awareness. But I mean, one of the things I would say is a lot of things in life are about social problem solving. We were talking before about bosses we had, right? You know, we've been talking about situations we have in families. And I would say that the more parents can go back to have conversations that are collaborative with your child, use the techniques 
that are open questions from why will no one play with me use the reflection you know keep calm yourself and help your child think about everything as just a problem to be solved now they have a toolkit whether it's friend not doing things they want them to do school may be shut down in three days and I'm super anxious, like all that stuff that could come depending where you are, we go back to just problem solving. So here's a question, a little bit disconnected from that, but I'm kind of preemptively problem solving here because I'm imagining a situation where there's kids going back to school who have not been wearing masks for most of the summer because they've been at home and they just haven't had to or whatever the reason, right? They're just not Lots of mask wearing isn't happening. Um, and I was reflecting on when I first started wearing a mask, how I didn't feel like I could talk to anybody. I don't know what it was about wearing a mask that made me feel like I shouldn't talk to someone. Like if, if someone walked too close, bumped into me, dropped something in front of me, ordinarily I would have been like, oh, hey, no big deal. Or hi, how are you? Or picking the thing up and handing it to him or something. I still don't pick the thing up because I don't want to offend someone. But I could absolutely be like, is that your dollar or whatever, right? Did you, did you right, drop right. this? And I wasn't doing that at first. Now I am because I've gotten used to the mask. But I could see that hiccup happening to other people too. And kids who have not been wearing masks going to school and not participating because the mask is making them feel weird and uncomfortable and like they shouldn't talk because their mouth is covered or whatever. So it might make sense to just have kids wear a mask for a little while at home in the backyard during their day. So they become more accustomed to it. That might be a thing that's worth doing. I think so. I mean, one thing that my daughter was saying to me this weekend is we had to, we have, we have a new boat and we had to schlep a lot from the car to the boat and we're unskilled labor. My husband is the one who can install electronics and do stuff. So my daughter and I were the schleppers and we noticed something similar because we were in masks at first, we weren't talking to as many people, but then I think because we got worn down by all of our schlepping, we started talking to people, um, you know, we just were more natural. I think having been in a mask like you for a while, because we're in a state that's that's in this mask situation, mm -hmm. I think that it's good to have kids practice, have kids go in public. Um, I'm going to make videos about this. I've been doing something with my son um, where we go and like we go to Walgreens and we we bait the skill. I tell him you cannot touch anything and he puts his hands behind his back and then you know I give him a little a little edible reward it's good to practice because then stuff comes up and you're ready for it it's good to talk through the scenarios you go you, your elastic rips what can you do i've been wearing dresses with pockets so that i can put my mask in my pocket or i can have an extra something like to have those kind of things there's some things on the autism groups i'm on where people have lanyards and the mask is attached to the lanyard because kids like my son, I'm sure he will put it down somewhere and just walk away, right, by accident. And they're not as mindful little ones, but also I even have big kids that I work with who aren't as mindful. So to have it on a lanyard attached to you, you can't lose it. To really have that conversation and do that practice and give them opportunities between now and when they go back or even if you're not going back, even if you're homeschooling, you know, depending as long as it's safe within your state and you're complying with with rules to have them do some things where they experience it is better than just to say, 
oh, here you go. Because I think it is learned. I've changed my clothing, the way I do things. I have a mil, I have masks for talking. If I know, like when people are dropping a kid off to do a backyard thing at my house, I have a certain kind of mask I wear where I can talk more easily versus my cutie ones that are fabric that goes in your mouth. You can't really talk. I, ha I hadn't even thought of that. That's a really good idea. Another thing to, to pay attention to, especially if you have kids that have frustration stuff around school and they're going into the building, is uh, we've done some ropes courses and Gavin has broken three masks, I think, at this point. Because he's doing the ropes course, he gets frustrated and he yanks the mask off his face and that breaks the little ear loop thing. And now he can't wear it again. So having your kid do some stuff that might escalate their frustration and anxiety in advance so they can learn to manage that with a mask on because you get this impression that you're not breathing as well, even though you're fine when the mask is on. And that only furthers to increase your anxiety. Learning how to handle that might be important for some kids who are going to be going back to school. Um, but before we wrap up, mm -hmm. What about virtual schooling? What about being at home and talking to teachers and classmates over Zoom? I think when kids are going to be doing virtual school, which many, many are, it's important to sit down and think about how your child is going to get that social fulfillment. And maybe you've even been in this for a while and you haven't opened up um, because I have friends and acquaintances and clients who are immunocompromised. So even as Massachusetts opens up, they haven't opened up. But you still could do a reset, you know, take a day and start to think about where you are and where you want to be, what you want to shift, what you want to do differently, what do they want, right? I cannot stress enough. I think we have to ask kids perspectives. Even little ones like my son, even little ones that I work with have a perspective. So I think we need to, for, for the virtual school, think about what works, what doesn't work, and how to be social, and then how you're going to be as a family. What do you want there to be in terms of everybody's role? What are we going to do? Are we going to have dinner at night? Are we going to try to be social in that way? Are there going to be you know virtual things that they attend? Are we going to allow for more computer time so that they can game? Are there going to be limits on that? Is there going to be a bedtime? All that stuff. And if you've been doing it and you're not happy how you've been doing it, take a pause, hit the reset button, but have a conversation about that. Don't just come out with rules. The more we, you know, sort of knock before we enter their bedroom, the more we're going to get compliance. Just being mindful of time. Do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? I think the biggest essential is that people do need to be social and we are in this social crisis. Also, if you think your child is depressed, if their anxiety is, is debilitating, please help them to see some kind of medical professional. And also just remember, this is a period of time and I think we have to help kids and we have an opportunity to have a real partnership with our child. The benefit, if we're going to look at the bright side of this, is we're going to have the opportunity to have an even closer relationship with our child. But again, we have to collaborate with them. We can't just dictate.
You're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com. And visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.